Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Morning, Joe. So we are recording today's episode in the morning of Tuesday, the 23rd of November. And we've got three main topics that we want to to look at today. Unemployment um, figures, which I think, Nick, you said earlier on, on the surface, they actually look pretty positive, but it doesn't take very much digging to have a few concerns about what the numbers are actually showing us and the the implications um, for recovery. Um, Then we obviously had inflation numbers come out last week. So we'll have a look at at those. I mean, that seems to be a standing point of of order, doesn't it, these (laughs) these days? And then finally, there's some some interesting um, reports about HMRC from the National Audit Office and then some some comments from um, the head of the HMRC that are worth worth picking up on again. And then again, in the context of, of insolvency, um, numbers which were released last week or earlier this week, I think, for um, for October. So let's start, Nick, then with the unemployment. Um, right, right. Unemployment headline rate um, down to 4.3% for the quarter to September. Uh, that's down um, half a percent. From, oh, from, and that's that's good. That's isn't it? that's very that's that, yeah, yeah. Very, very happy with that. I don't think there's any doubt that um, this is not. Um, in employment terms, where we thought the economy would be, yeah. even as recently as six months ago, when we were frightened. And bear in mind, um, I mean that doesn't that doesn't reflect what happened with furlough because that didn't happen until the first of October, yeah. the ending mm-hmm. of uh, the end of September. But so we'll be very interested to see the next set of numbers. Um, looking at the the other headline figures, um, payrolls up one hundred and sixty thousand in October, um, and uh, the Regular earnings growth seems to be, um, uh, this has been a problem because there are so many oddities because of um, furlough and, yeah. you know, and, and, and redundancies uh, affecting the lower paid. And But regular earnings growth in that quarter um, around 3.4% when distortions are stripped out. And there's been right, some comments you. since suggesting that actually the, the true rate of wage inflation is more like 2%. Okay, so that's actually within reasonable kind of normal levels, isn't it? Yeah, Um, the employment rate um, up to 75.4% from 75% in the previous quarter, um, but actually still 1% below pre-pandemic. Job moves at a record rate. Mm. And that's what we're we're reading that about that. A lot in the in the press, aren't we, about the the big um, the big change and, and people seeking a new challenge after you know the the lockdown period. Yes, it's, it's what the, it's what American economists are referring to as the Great Resignation. Yeah, <laughs> the big quit. I think I've also <laughs> the big yeah the big quit. It's yeah. unfortunately like um, linked to smoking, but yeah, let's call it the big the big quit, the big resignation. Yeah, I mean, what is of, of course much um, less positive is the inexorable rise in job vacancies. Mm. Now we're up to 1.17 million, 1.2 million job vacancies in 18, in 15 of the 18 sectors in the economy that the ONS measures, um, vacancies are at record highs. Um, and uh, that level has risen a quarter by 400k. Wow. 400,000 wow. more job vacancies. And um, what then fed into this in terms of my thinking was that the Resolution Foundation, the respected think tank, 
um, and research body has been out and been surveying the workforce and the results are out this morning and they show that 586,000 people left the workforce during the pandemic. Goodness. Predominantly older workers, predominantly male older workers. So the workforce uh, age. So there's kind bracket. of skills. There's this kind of skills drain out of the economy. Is is what is what they're saying? Is that right? Yes, it's a it's a skills drain and it's a mentoring drain. Mm. Drain because you're losing those people who bring on the younger people. Yeah. In in that sort of slightly sort of um, uh, um, old fashioned model of how how workforces work mm. on there. I mean the workforce. Um, age between 55 and 64 is down by 1.2% during the pandemic. Wow. Biggest fall for 40 years. Wow. Um, and so the, the obvious consequence of that is that the workforce is now much younger and more um, female, and that mm-hmm. they actually had an interesting stat on that, that uh, 48% of the workforce is now female. Wow. And that okay. compares to 42% 30 years ago in 1992. That is positive, and I think also yes. in the in the research, again the the opportunities for remote working, I think has in, has enabled more women with childcare responsibilities to be able to do more work, you know, yeah. be at home and fit around school runs and things, rather than having that that travel um, yes. loss of time, for example. So those things that you've got to think of as as being very positive um, developments, haven't you? Yes, cynically, I mean that particular point, and somebody was comment, commenting this morning on social media to say that um, uh, there is a tendency for those who are going back into the office to be men. Mm. Apparently, I mean, I don't quite see why that would be the case, but only predominantly it's men going back into the uh, into the office. And the suggestion was that that, that would increase um, uh, gender in, inequality. inequality. Because well, that is, I mean, so that's typically because because women tend to have the the picking up responsibilities, yes. don't they? And they had the, yeah. they had already have the the kind of shorter working hours that can allow that to happen. And and you know, I think that is starting to to change. But certainly, my observations at the at the school gate would would suggest that it's more women than um, yeah. the men. Yes, I mean, this you know that the, the I, again, I think slightly old fashioned, um, and I'm not sure factually accurate suggestion is that if the men are going back into the office their career prospects are enhanced by comparison with women working from home. Um, I would take a completely different view of that, which is um, being in the office um, uh, only serves to remind your um, remind your boss exactly how un- unemployable and, and how blooming awkward some people are. But there we go. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Nick. I, 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 would, I, would possibly, I would possibly comment on that. Yes. Um, um, the, the, other, the other thing coming out of um, the unemployment or the employment numbers is that part-time working is increasing, or maybe it's coming back to the levels it was before. And long-term unemployment is beginning to become a bigger thing. So hardcore unemployment is rising. And um, there was a, a significant rise in the those in the workforce who've been out of work for more than 12 months. In the unemployment numbers, yeah. Okay. Unemployment so that's something numbers. that we that's something that we would 
tend to expect to to see yeah. that it becomes hard the longer you're out of a job the harder it becomes to, to get back into the workforce um okay well that, thanks very much for, for for running through those let's um tie on to inflation which which there is a read across isn't there because of course the the thing that the bank of england is often saying is that it's it's wage um pressure that kind of drives their stance on um on inflation and on the action that they might take to to try and curb this and yeah. so we had last week the um, the figures for October CPI at 4.2%, which was higher, wasn't it, than most was economists expected. had been expecting. Yeah, and, and, and obviously you know, seriously higher than the month before, which was 3.1%. Mm. Um, 4.2%, that's the highest level for 10 years since CPI was 4.8% in November 2011. And I think we all know what's um Driving this, I mean, out of the 4.2%, 1.3% is uh, caused by higher energy prices. Yeah. And of course, we had we had the reminder of how impossible that market is with the collapse of uh, bulb yeah. yesterday. The, the you know the seventh biggest energy supplier and um, too big to, too big to fail like the rest. Yeah. So is going into special administration. Yeah. That'll be interesting. So the government how, is basically kind of nationalised, isn't it? The government it, is, is effectively is, is effectively. has, has, has nationalised it. Um, <clears throat> and, and I suspect because people like um, British Gas and some of the the other large um, energy companies probably said to Ofgem, no, yeah. we ain't taking one point seven million loss making mm. customers. Thank you very mm. much. Do it yourself. Yeah. Which is what's, and it was off gem that have that has prompted the move to special administration, right? Uh, okay. Um, <clears throat> so you know, gas bills. If you look at the inflation numbers, gas bills are up twenty eight percent year on <clears throat> year on year. Electricity is up nineteen percent, and of course, um, uh, fuel costs, petrol, diesel, mm. um, petrol prices up to one hundred and thirty eight point six pence a litre in that month. That's 22% year on year, and wow. we know it's already higher. Yeah. 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 It, you know, I don't know what other people are paying, but you know, around here, 149.9-ish. Yeah, I don't think we're quite as high as that in Kent, but certainly we get over yeah. 140. Yeah. And, and, and significantly not a great deal cheaper at supermarkets. Mm. Um, used car prices continue um, to surge because of the chip shortage. They're up 27% since April uh, of this year. Um, hotels and accommodation um, uh, costs uh, were another major contributor, up thirteen percent. That the VAT change. VAT, that, yeah. VAT went up from five percent to twelve and a half percent on the first mm-hmm. of October. Um, higher airfares. Um, well, that's that's hardly unexpected given the desperate need for the airlines to generate <laughs> some money. Yeah. Revenue. Um, what I couldn't find in the numbers, but maybe I missed it, um, despite reading them twice, was anything about. Um, uh, um, factory gate prices or input prices, but what we did get was a rather, a rather odd report from uh, RICS on construction cost inflation. Mm. Um, odd in the sense that the, the headlines were great, but the details were vague, to put it <laughs> mildly, um, on, on that. But that's Rick's for you. Um, uh, construction cost inflation, uh, and they don't say what it is, but it is the highest for forty years. And hearing that, aren't we? I mean, we're hearing that 
you know, in, across lots of sources, lots of reports in the press, lots of people we're talking to is that they, that, yeah. that the the um, cost of materials are just uh, a skyrocketing, and also you know, and that has an impact. I think contracts now, and I, and I guess over the last few months, have have taken that into account. But of yeah. course, contracts from a, from further ago that were that were more kind of fixed price or didn't really yeah. have much tolerance to, to increase prices, obviously um, affected. And then, and a kind of tangential point, I was talking to a commodities trader um, last week on shipping. Um, container costs, and he was saying that they've been relatively um, protected because they'd bought forward um, contracts for for shipping containers. But now those slots are starting to be pulled by um, the the shipping lines, and the increase in prices are just dramatic. Can't be can't be easily passed on to the current customers. Obviously, current contracts are now being negotiated to to take that into account. But when you're you're making a few thousand dollars profit per container, and you're prices are going up from $2,000 to $15,000, that very quickly becomes very uneconomical. Um, and so I guess that that is, you know, we're starting to see the, the ripple of effect of that in um, in businesses absorbing costs. And I mean, you were, you were talking about this before, weren't you? This this yes. article that you picked up in the Telegraph about yes, Roger, you know, the Roger impact Bootle, of this. Roger Bootle, the um, uh, veteran economist, people call me a veteran, so I can call him, him one. <laughs> um, he it was wrote a very interesting article in the Telegraph, um, pointing out among many things that one of the implications of inflation at the moment is in many industries where there is, you know, end user price uh, prices are inflexible or relatively inflexible. Companies are absorbing mm. the inflation. Um, I mean, there will come a point where they can't, but they're absorbing it. That, of course, cuts profits. And hey ho, what does that do? That cuts, cuts investment. investment. Mm. So that's the worst of all worlds because, as we continually bang on about um, in these podcasts, the economy needs business investment. And if it doesn't get business investment, it will not grow mm. or will not grow as strongly as it should do and as strongly as other economies are growing. Um, the, the, the other um, little um, read across, if I can use that awful phrase, um, from the inflation is what it's doing to government borrowing costs. And um, the October 2020 net interest payments by the government were 1.8 billion mm -hmm. in october 2021 they were 5.6 billion <sighs> so they're up 212.2 percent to be precise now, clearly they've actually borrowed more money that's not just a kind of it's a, clearly there's been more borrowing but there is also an increase in cost associated with that as well isn't there which you know presumably is going to get even higher if when I don't know what we say now, the MPC I've I've kind of given up on, on trying to work out yep. what they're going to do, but well, presumably when the Bank of England um, raise interest rates, that will obviously be very sensitive. It 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 will indeed, and and that's a staggering figure, you know, at five point six yeah. billion a month. Think about that for a year, and think about that in relation to things like the education budget, mm. you know, or or the the DEFRA budget for important environmental things. I mean, it, it it's incredibly significant, and you know. Let's not say the government weren't warned about this. But mm. anyway, I mean, not that they had any choice to borrow so much money, but this was an unfortunate additional um, twist in that particular yeah. saga on that. Well, so. then the, let's carry on talking about government um, and government finances to HMRC. So there was a, a National Audit Office um, report on the debt that's owed to, to HMRC that was, I think, was it released earlier this week or end of last week? End of end of end of last week. It it, it showed that the um, 
the arrears of debt, uh, the debt buildup um, owed to HMRC, 42 billion. Um, uh, and now that's a lot better than in August 2020, where it had escalated to 67 yeah. um, billion. But, you know, you need to set this in context, as the NAO did, and then HMRC um, confirmed, which is that HMRC had cut their debt management staffing um, over a mm. period of about five years, all part of government cuts, um, by 20%. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, and also, I think pre-pandemic, what's the figure? I think it was 16 billion was yes. the amount owed in January 2020. So clearly a big... Yep. Um, and and let's, let's, again, be fair, the 67 billion, of course, lots of that was, you know, legitimately... Um, deferred, yeah. wasn't it? You know, there was that the VAT um, yes. holiday for for lots of lots of businesses and and lots of time to pay arrangements yeah, yeah, were yeah. being kind of waved through. But the you know, the National Audit Office effectively they reported the numbers, but what they were really saying was that they were concerned about HMRC's ability to to, to pull this back, mm-hmm. and um, so that obvious um, reaction was a series of interviews by people like the FT and the Telegraph with the HMRC boss, Jim Harrah. Um, and he said that they hoped to cut the arrears to 33 billion by April, 2022. Um, and this is amazing quote from uh, Jim Harrah saying, insolvency is part of the economy. No doubt there will be cases where the best solution is insolvency action. Well, hey, he would say that, wouldn't he, given crown preference? Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think that's something that both you and I kind of picked up on to say, well, yeah, I mean, this this does signal, I think, a change, doesn't it, in attitude from from HMRC that, you know, there's been a lot of of willingness to work with with customers to to put these time-to-pay arrangements in. And there's a kind of sense that perhaps the... The mood is is changing, and I guess it's also in the context of of you know the winding up provisions and so on that we're we're kind of yeah. you're you're hearing, aren't you? That, that January is, is likely yeah. to be the time when lots more of these um, these these enforcement actions start start to happen. Um, and HMRC, let's not forget, is going to be at the front of the queue of those. Yeah, um, and, and always things. has been. It always has um, been the, the the major enforcer of uh, of, of insolvency. But this time, the major beneficiary as well. You know, with crown preference. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I suppose that leads on naturally to um, the corporate insolvencies number, where I, I must say I was expecting a, a, a minor increase, but actually they fell in October 2021 to 1,405 company insolvencies. Almost all of them, 1,248, were CVLs. So directors saying, that's it, we're, yeah. we're out of here, we're stopping. Um, now, at, at that number there, down on September, but they're 64% up on October 2020. Not surprising because not frankly, nothing was happening. Yeah. Uh, Nothing was happening. Um, But they're broadly similar, about 5% only down from pre-pandemic levels. Now, if you look at that overall, fine. Um, It 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 tells you one story, but if you dig a bit deeper, there's another story going on here. If they're broadly similar to pre-pandemic and there is no action on compulsory winding up going on, mm-hmm. and compulsory winding up was a significant player yeah. in the insolvency numbers, what it means is that when compulsory winding up starts again in January or maybe late December, um, then these numbers are going to rise very sharply. Yeah. 
very sharply yeah. because my um uh, you know my chats with people in the insolvency market tell me that there's 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 a steady flow and in fact an increasing flow of directors coming to them wanting to know whether they should stop and you know trying to come up with some plan to deal with the bloated balance sheets you know and, and let's face it we've just had you know we we knew about bounce back loans and c bills we knew about um commercial rent arrears now we've got a, uh, an inkling of the numbers for build up a tax debt mm. and so you know the the uh, this is with HMRC getting more robust. Um, there is bound to be insolvency pressure next next year because what you've got is balance sheets that are bulging with debt on one side and shrinking asset values on mm. the other side, as, as particularly commercial property and shrinking margins as well. Shrinking you know, margins all over you know, the place. You know what so, what that what might have been you know time to actually generate cash to pay back. Actually, that that is looking like a less and less um, plausible route in in certain sectors in particular isn't it with, with all the pr- pressures on pricing to put it into um uh the famous company watch um uh context there may be a lot fewer water skiers yeah. out there the companies that are only surviving yeah. because of their profitability mm-hmm. so um yeah so yeah. Uh, so a quiet month for insolvencies but calm before the storm Seems 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 likely, and I had finally had a conversation or a reply from the Office of Budget Responsibility on some questions. I asked them about um, how they had factored in uh, corporate insolvencies and availability or otherwise of trade credit. I think broadly the answer is well, we not really thinking about insolvencies until we get some numbers. We have put that off until we don't have to think well, about it. Well, the it. comment was they, um, they, I think you you summed up their comment as being um, uh, well. We worry about that when we when we can't um, ignore it any longer. Pretty much. And trade credit, again, I've got no answer on trade. I don't think they, they all they think about is, um, is if they think about it at all, is the credit insurance um, yeah. side of things. That actually, the kind of B2B trade credit, all that stuff that goes on underneath the surface, stuff that our listeners um, facilitate, you know, it just doesn't seem to be on the on the radar for these um, projections at all. So I don't know. Maybe yeah. we'll maybe we'll we'll carry on beating the drum, and maybe maybe somebody might might take some notice that this is actually something they need to be to be thinking about when they're looking at those forecasts. Nick, thank you so much. As always, really interesting. With through the with through the week's news, and um, thanks everybody for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.